episode of I'm Not Gonna Be Quiet. My name's Danica and I'm your host. If you are a first-time listener or if you've been with me since the beginning, either way, I want you to know that this is a space where folks step into the circle of community sharing the path they've traveled to find liberation after periods of staying silent about the harm that was done to them we get a chance to hear and learn from our guests what they refuse to be quiet about, what their silence cost them, and the price they paid for their freedom. You're here, I'm here. Community's been established, so let's get free together. Now, if you are listening to this for the first time, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode one of season two, because this episode, Abuse of children within a school system. And so super quick recap. I shared in the last episode about the abuse my daughter experienced at the hands of Susan Harris, who was a nurse at Abington Friends School. I started an affinity group along with other parents. This group was designed to create safe spaces for Black parents, caregivers, family members of the Black students at Abington Friends School. I, along with other families, were targeted by Rich Nori, who is the current outgoing head of school, Andrea Emmons, who is the current needs-to-be outgoing director of lower school, Mikhail Israel, who is the current also needs-to-be outgoing director of DEI, um, along with some other players. We were targeted because we started an affinity group. This group was designed to create safe spaces for Black family members, caregivers, parents of Black students at Abington Friends School. Tired trope, when Black people are gathering, white people become suspicious. So we began to be targeted and they attempted to silence us after they saw that they couldn't control us. And we literally were just meeting. We were meeting to fellowship with one another, to link families, to share resources, elevate reports of harm, reports of racism. And the school didn't want to deal with that. And so they attempted to control us and silence us. And ultimately, they harmed my daughter. Specifically, Susan Harris forced my daughter to dig in a dirty toilet. Now, I'm not going to go into the details, one, because it's activating, two, there is no reason for that to happen. That is where the previous episode ended. I had to take a break because it was a lot to share that. And so we're going to pick up with part two of what happened after that. Like what happened after my daughter was abused by Susan Harris? What happened after my daughter was abused by Rich Nori? 
what happened after my daughter was abused by Mikael, Israel, and Andrea Emmons. Well, let's pick up where we left off. So once my daughter told me what happened, I immediately, I emailed Andrea and Rich, and I was like, my daughter has been traumatized by your staff. I'll be in your office at eight. I expect to see you there. They came, and so did I, with witnesses. The thing about me is I've lived in this Black body as a Black queer woman my entire life. So I understand how racist, racist. I also understand you can't outrun racism. And so in each meeting, nearly each meeting, I ask for a consent to record because I know at some point the ceiling will drop as will the floor. And this was that point. So I've recorded all these meetings and all their, their ridiculous things that they've said. They feign shock. It wasn't even shock. It was surprise. Like Rich feigned nothing. He had his classic red face and was just like stoic looking. Andrea, she activated her Karen tears. I'm clear on who she is, not just by other parents reporting, but by her own staff. So I knew those tears were not for the harm that my daughter suffered, but it was for the fact that she knew it was all but said that Susan could not be there. I was clear there's a precedence for what happens to staff when they violate children whose teacher forced them to dig in a disgusting, dirty toilet. Racist will racist. So in that meeting, Rich looks at me and the other folks that I brought in, BAFA members, and he said, I'm sorry, I should have listened to you. I should have listened to you when you were talking about the racism and the targeting and the amplifying of this racist rhetoric, this fear mongering around Bafa, because what he did was give adults permission to behave, not just badly, violently and abusively. In that original meeting, when he did not admonish his staff for intentionally making a child feel invisible, like they didn't matter, he sanctioned it. And that continued to be rippled throughout that school. And so when Susan had an opportunity to violate my child, she did at his behest. So from there, Susan was removed, not as a consequence, not as a punitive measure, she was removed to protect her and the school. Because the one thing, again, racist bank on is your silence. This school is so siloed. There is an absence of real substantial community that they violate students and parents and, and staff and staff and get away with it all the time because of the absence of community. This is a school that presents itself as having a trauma-informed care practice, restorative care practice, and none of those things happened. 
even at my request. None of those things happened. They removed Susan. So there was no opportunity for my daughter to be able to get repair and recovery, to be able to look Susan in the eyes and ask her why. She never had an opportunity to hear Susan atone. Because why? Andrea and Rich scooped her up and got her out of there. And thereafter, every time I brought it up in the pursuit of justice and healing, Andrea specifically would get activated. She would become very, what I would describe as histrionic. My experiences with her and also reported experiences from other parents and her own staff is that that was normal. So we continue to be targeted and continue to try to find refuge in each other and tighten the com our community, right? The Black community as protection. Because after that, there was a little bit of smooth sailing, but still, there were still a lot of reports from other parents about racism, right? There was a white teacher that repeatedly used the N-word in the upper school. In fact, that white teacher is still suing. There's a white teacher there now who tried to gaslight the Black kids who heard that white teacher use the N-word and just be like, you didn't hear that. She had a mask on. There's no way you could hear that. Are mask magical? I did not know that. Masks are magical. Interesting that they hear all the other words that come out this masked woman, but not the racist words. So many other things have happened, right? There was a committee member who sent their children to school after they had been exposed to COVID. They ignored the RUVNA, which is a protective tool, right? Used to keep children at home if they've had exposure. They admittedly, in one of our meetings, recorded with consent, stated, yes, I used my privilege. And I went to the replacement white nurse and asked for my children to get special treatment because I wanted them to be there for the last couple of days of school. Now, the fallout that came from that, so many parent, Black parents went to Andrea and expressed their concern because guess what? Several kids in those grades contracted COVID. Kids with pre-existing health conditions, kids who had never had COVID, never had COVID. There have been just instance after instance of targeting and differential treatment. So here is a final straw. I'm leaving this event that I and other BAFA members put on for graduating seniors that is a success. I'm cleaning up, right? It's the last little bit, everybody's left. I see a lot of lower school kids coming in and I'm like, what's happening here? It's interesting. I stumble into this mom from lower school. Our kids don't have classes together, but she's like, you know, she's like the yoga mom of the school. So she's, you know, she's visible. She's, she's at a lot of things. She's, you know, an engaging parent. And, and I'm like, what's going on here? Why are all these little, little kiddos over here in the upper school? And she's like, oh, well, Felix, um, he put together this 
social emotional um, drama class. I think it was drama or some type of acting class, improv, that's what it was. And I was like, I did not know about this. I, I didn't see that in any email. Because usually when they have clubs, they send it out to the entire parent body and it's first come first serve, right? Sign up for it. I was like, did I miss that? And she was like, no, it's, it's actually a secret club. And I was like, hmm, red flag. Why white woman who has some proximity to blackness, are you participating in a secret club that largely contains only white students? There were about 20 kids in that class that I saw and nearly all of them were white. Nearly all of them were white. So whatever, I put that to the back and I'm like, how do I join? My kid just finished an improv class and then in our community, she would love this. She tells me it's their first class. And then she introduces me to the instructor. The instructor is from the community, not AFS. She's a cis. So I'm like, tell her the same thing. My kid just finished an improv class, totally interested. How do I join? Is it too late? She's like, no, it's not too late. You can join, just ask Felix, let him know. Start whenever. I see Felix later, same day. And I'm like, same thing. Felix is like stumbling through his hems and haws, trying to say, no, I can tell. And I'm just thinking, but why? And so I acquiesce, right? I don't push it. I just say, well, please give it some thought and, you know, get back to me. He doesn't get back to me. I see him the next week. I ask him about it. He hems and haws again, and then eventually says no. And he's like, well, we already started. They said, it's only been one class. And the instructor said, it wouldn't matter if I joined late. And, and then he's like, well, we already have this like payment set up. I'm like, <laughs> so I can pay. I know you think that I'm just like this poor, ignorant black woman, um, but guess what? I can pay. And then he's like, well, um, it's just a pilot. I understand it's a pilot. What does that mean? He's like, well, maybe, you know, we might roll it out in the fall. That's great. I'd like to do it in the fall and now. And he's like, well, no. And he can't give an explanation for why. None of it makes sense. And then I ask him to just look at things through the lens of my eyes, this black queer woman who has been targeted because of the affinity group that she made. And I don't go into the nurse stuff, but I'm highlighting for him that he created a private club on school property that is only open to the parents that he specifically invited. And I want him to see the bias in that. It's a small school. He is clear that there are students, not just my child, but other students who are interested in theater. The other third grade teacher went to another student's theatrical performance. So he knows that there are people interested in theater and this other student is not. So. He knows that, but he ignored that and he chose the parents that he's comfortable with. I know almost all of them are white. And when I say almost, I saw one black student, maybe one or two biracial kids, but about 17, 18, 19 other white students. And then he gets upset and storms off. I don't even understand why he storms off, right? Because, I mean, I do understand he's uncomfortable. And the thing with me, I can handle situations because that's what I do. I respond to crises, 
right? I de-escalate situations. So like I can remain cool as a cucumber, but these folks, their fragility is on brand. So that happens. I request a meeting with him and Andrea. I bring a witness and at the onset of that meeting, I can already tell that Andrea is a bit dysregulated. In that meeting at the start, Felix is defensive. I understand why you might feel defensive, right? Like I'm human, I get, you know, I'm connecting dots that you feel like don't really apply to you. And you might be uncomfortable even considering if the possibility of what you're doing is exclusionary, racially exclusionary. And so I get that. And I'm and I'm in a meeting with a psychiatrist, right? Like that's who I bring in with me. So we are experts in human behavior and behavioral patterns and mental health and the escalation and all of this. And so we're calm and we're just trying to get to a space where the defenses come down. Andrea is struggling this whole time. She's being impulsive and antagonistic. And when I say antagonistic, the three of us are having conversations, Felix, myself, and the and the other uh, BAFA member, who's a psychiatrist. And Felix's defenses are coming down. And Andrea's like, not really getting to say anything because Felix is talking and then I'm talking. And it's not about her because the email that I sent to her requesting the meeting, I was like, I would like to have this meeting and I would like to do it within the framework of restorative practices. None of that happened because she doesn't know what restorative practices are. So she's being antagonistic in the way of saying, do I get a turn? Do I get to say something? Or do I have to raise my hand? Or, and she's like slapping her hands. And I'm just like, this lady is really dysregulated. And then I start to talk about again, what it looks like from my lens and what my experiences are. And I start to talk about the nurse. Andrea immediately interrupts me. And she's like, we're not going to talk about that. We're not here for that. And I'm like, ma'am, this is my experience. Could you please not interrupt me? So I continue. She's activated. She does not like to talk about that. Why? Because she feels convicted. So I'm describing it and Felix then admits, I could see how you would feel that way. She doesn't like that. And so she, Andrea, jumps up out of her chair and says, this meeting is over. She then goes to push me out of the chair. And I don't mean shove, but to put her hands on me to, you know, gently push me up out of the chair to let me know the meeting's over. Ma'am, I heard you. We're very comfortable with leaving. And so I lean away from her and I say, please don't put your hands on me. This lady is activated. She's on one. You're putting your hands on me in an aggressive way. You were not invited, nor did you get consent. So we immediately stand up to leave. And this very weird exchange happens between Andrea and Felix. And let me also add, Felix is a Chinese American man. I will say from my point of view, culturally, he lives like a white person because we understand how racism works, how internalized racism works. Felix goes to Andrea, whose back is against the framework of the door, and he hugs her and puts his head on her shoulders slash chest and says, 
thank you for supporting me in the amicus way. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. What kind of shenanigans is this? This is weird. This is awkward. This is bizarre. What? What is that? What is this infantile parentified dynamic? What's happening? We leave. All of, you know, right outside of Andrea's office is like the secretary's office. And so all of Andrea's cheerleaders are there because, you know, during that session, her phone's going off. She has it on sound. So we hear all the the things going off in the lower school um, assistant directors standing outside the door and um, Lindsay, she's like the director of admissions or something. She's standing out the door waiting to take this Karen into her arms and Trisha's out there. Trisha's like, again, the secretary. She's supposed to greet people when they come in. It don't happen like that all the time, but it was just like very Karen-esque. And I was like, what's happening? What's happening with this lady? What is happening? Immediately, I email Rich and I was like, I described what happened in the meeting. And I was like, I'd like to have a meeting in within the framework of restorative practices to discuss what happened. I was really uncomfortable with Andrea putting her hands on me. That felt like a violation. Rich, head of school, never responds to my email. Never responds. And so... From there, I'm talking with my daughter's teacher and the assistant, and I tell them, right, because we've talked throughout the year that uh, my daughter having feelings of not wanting to go to school from time to time, which is unlike her, or I feel like having some anxiety. So I'm, you know, I'm taking this in and I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know how safe she's been. And so when I meet with them to talk about you know, how well she's doing and they give excellent reports. I tell them about the incident with Felix and Andrea. Her teacher is also, you know, like the kind of like the assistant DEI for lower school. And so she's like, you know, what can we do? And I'm like, well, you could talk to Andrea and see like why, if this is the most appropriate way to create groups when you exclude folks and her and Felix's response and et cetera. And so I hear that they do. I don't know if it's true, but Andrea was just like ambivalent about it. That's all. She didn't have a response beyond it happened. No correction, no empathy, nothing. Just ice cold Karen. So, and the school comes, we dismiss. Um, we're on holiday, summer has started. We are in Cartagena, Colombia, chilling right? And I get this email from Rich where he tells me that he has expelled my daughter. Not because of her, right? Her reports are excellent. Socially, emotionally, behaviorally, academically, all of the things, but because of my activism. And he specifically says that it is because of the incident with Felix and Andrea, keep in mind, this lady put her hands on me. I am, again, cool as a cucumber because you know what? I have words. I have words to give you. And that convicts people. So I'm devastated. 
traumatized. I'm like, yo, my daughter is going to be so traumatized again, right? Because this is a space she's been and has loved and she found her best friends here, just like I found my village and I'm devastated. And then I immediately start to recover and I'm just like, these people are abusive. They are violent. They are predators. They have harmed my family and other families repeatedly and they try to do it in secret so that they can keep doing it. I had already been working with the NAACP and we added National Action Network and the National Parent Union um, because we need to mobilize around this. This isn't unusual. Now the toilet thing, I'm pretty sure that's unusual, but the racism in schools, the pervasiveness throughout the school infrastructure, I'm pretty sure, I know that's common because there are so many affinity groups in other schools, not just the Quaker schools, but all the schools. And so Rich keeps asking for a meeting so that he can tell me this in person because in his head, he feels like, and with the Quaker way, right? He feels like if it's said out loud, I can say that I counseled you out and we had a meeting and it wasn't as cold as the delivery of the email that he sent in at the end of June. And so I go in with, um, with another witness, of course, and he tells me again, it's because of the Felix and Andrea meeting. And I talk to him about, I remind him of the targeting, right? With Mikhail, with Susan Harris, um, with Devin Schleckman or whatever, Schlickman. And when I talk about Susan Harris, the, the white nurse who forced my daughter to stick her hand in a toilet, he says, that wasn't racist. We don't believe that was racist. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But at that point, I'm saying you've got to be kidding me, but actually not really. It's on brand. It makes sense. You're racist. And your connection to licensing Susan to behave as such was racist, was an act of racism, right? You were invested and in racialized trauma. You are invested in everyone experiencing race-based traumatic stress. So it makes sense to me that you are willing to say that was not an act of racism. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, let's take race out. Is it an act of abuse? Is it? Is it an act of abuse, Rich Nori? Because when you look in the dictionary for the definition of abuse, it reads, treat a person with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly, right? So that's cruel or violent treatment. I don't know, in your house, do you force your kids to dig in dirty toilets, Rich Nori, Andrea Emmons? Do you force your children to dig in dirty toilets, Devin Schlickman? Do you force your children to dig in dirty Toilets, Mikhail Israel, do you force your new babies to dig in dirty toilets? Probably not. Probably not. So that is the trauma that I have been dealing. I said it before, I'm clear. We'll never be able to outrun racism. 
But what I can do is try to the best of my ability to prevent trauma, to minimize or limit race-based traumatic stress, and certainly while at the same time doing my best to recover. Because the truth is, the more I am equipped with joy and kindness and honesty and thoughtfulness and self-love and self-care, I'm hoping the less the impact is when I am forced to come into contact with racist, with bullies, with predators, with abusers, with monsters. So we're using our tools to recover and heal. We are speaking our truth to recover and heal because what I understand about racist and racism is that they want to take everything. If they do not have the courage to take our lives, and we know a lot of them do and have, but if they can't do that, what they want to do is take our joy, take our dignity, our self-worth, everything that gives us life so that we feel the death of a thousand cuts, so that we turn into the monsters that they are, but they cannot take that from me, my daughter, and my family. You've heard me say, I'm not a biblical literalist. However, I am clear. I have a value for biblical scripture. And I understand that the devil comes to do what? Three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. I will not surrender to them. I will not become them. Abington Friends School failed my daughter and many other families that are still there. Abington Meeting House failed my daughter and many other families that are still at AFS, right? Because I met with Abington Meeting House. I met with committee members several times. Looks like we're going to be meeting again, folks. I thank you for listening. I thank you for letting me share my journey. I thank you for creating space and holding space for me to heal. So again, thank y'all. I appreciate the support. Let's stay connected. Thank you.